0: Hello everyone, it's February 2nd, 2021, so the FAA, Elon isn't always their biggest fan, but they have a very important job to do. When I'm on a plane, I'm grateful for their existence. If I want to watch an experimental rocket launch, a little less so. Let's see if we can find some middle ground or air and liftoff. And we've at the tower. Welcome to episode 295 of the Orbital Mechanics podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. So, anything to talk about? How's your week?
1: <laughs> I mean, we we could talk about um, GameStop. I, I had a really long conversation with my partner about whether short selling is ethical or not, and I, I think we both agree that it's not. But I, I don't think there's anything that we can really do about it. Um, I, I think it's probably a bad idea to tell to to tell people that you know you're not allowed to short sell like you this isn't something that you can do that doesn't seem like the I mean you know I'm a bleeding heart liberal but it doesn't sound like the kind of regulation that I I really want um but you know there there should be some some regulation and some control just not complete wiping it out but I am really interested to see if the SEC decides to um, take action against some of the companies that basically told retail investors, you're not allowed to buy this stock or you're only allowed to, you know, have this much stock. And like, that is really what, what infuriates mm-hmm. me that, that that yeah. can just happen. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: the right now it looks like the SEC isn't going to do anything about it. Um, which is crazy and very American. Uh, Sam in the chat says that it sounds like a pump and dump scheme and a pyramid scheme. And yeah, it, Honestly, it is a pump and dump scheme, Um, but it is targeted to cause the, what's the hedge fund? I forget the name of the hedge fund, Um, but it was targeted against this one hedge fund that had extensively shorted, I mean, just over shorted GameStop. And uh, the the result of this scheme has been uh, money trading hands from an incredibly wealthy multi-billionaire into the hands of normal people and like I, I find it really hard to condemn a pump and dump scheme used for that
0: <laughs> i feel like these types of things and like you said shorting it just doesn't seem ethical in the first place but it exists it's just you're just you're, you're basically just kind of like gambling in a yeah. legal way with yeah that, that's
1: literally all it is is gambling with a cloak around it that has mm. you know numbers on it It's, Mm -hmm. it's literally just a very formalized form of betting. And like, I, there, there are people who, I, I think the, the real harm from short selling is the fact that it is, well, the options market in general is that it's gambling. It's that it's very volatile. And that it triggers all of the same patterns in your brain as any other form of gambling.
0: Well, all I can say is I don't gamble because it doesn't sound like a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mostly just for person. You know, like it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to get caught up in that. Yeah.
1: I found it absolutely fascinating this week. This is what I've been doing mm-hmm. all week is just like watching the chaos because it's it's fascinating to me to see economics in action and we see economics in action every day but it, it's rare that it's something that's this unexpected and this dramatic and you know results in so many people becoming
0: millionaires starship elon in the faa So, uh, what is going on there? I think that Elon, you know, he's he's not the biggest, I don't know if I should say he's not the biggest fan of the FAA, but he has some problems (laughs) with them, Um, and SpaceX tries to work as well as it can with the FAA, but... um, yeah, they're kind of bumping heads. So there's some stuff that, I don't know if this is something that, I mean, this just recently appeared, but we're only hearing about it now, it seems, which is um, the serial number eight launch, which happened, what, like a month ago or something yeah. now? Or longer? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, we're now hearing about all these FAA violations. Well, I think I think so.
1: all these violations is maybe not the best way to put it. But yeah, um, the Verge published an article that claims that the SN8 launch violated the their FAA license. I don't know if there are better sources Sources for this, I don't know. I, I I'm unsure about how much confidence to put in this. Um, I'm hoping by next week we'll we'll have some more info and and we'll be able to revisit this. But basically, The Verge says that the SN8 launch violated their FAA license, and they don't offer any more details, which is a little bit to be expected because it's not uh, usually a, a public process. But the speculation that I've seen uh, as to what happened here, um, I found three pretty reasonable uh, speculations. So one is that they applied to extend the terms of their license uh, and that the modifications weren't put through in time and they went ahead and flew the modified mission. Anyway, um, the second is that uh whether or not they applied for a modification, that they had swapped the engines installed on the vehicle, um, which meets the definition for a new vehicle. And so their license was for their old vehicle and now they have a new vehicle. And so that's the violation. Um, and then the other the the third speculation I've heard that I would kind of rank as uh, more likely than some uh, is that the explosion wouldn't have triggered a violation in and of itself, but the fact that they didn't report it to the FAA did count as a violation um, and that they didn't report it because they didn't think that they had to because it happened on the ground, and that's uh, after the end of the launch, right? The the license says before the launch or before the flight, during the flight, and then nothing about after the flight. So they kind of said, well, we're going to (laughs) define this as after the flight.
2: (laughs) I'm not an expert in this, but I feel like, you know, the FAA might care about, say, a plane crash that happens on the ground as well. So, yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> could they really make that argument. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, they tried. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah uh, Sam in the chat says, I really doubt the engine swap thing. FAA launch licenses are for flights of a vehicle in the abstract, not one specific vehicle. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, that, that sounds reasonable. I don't, do you, do you know if, uh, if that changes? uh for uh, experimental vehicles cuz i feel like experimental vehicles might get a per vehicle license. Yeah. But anyway, so speculation aside, the explosion did trigger a mishap investigation, as it should, Um, but it sounds like um, Elon, in particular, is (laughs) not very happy about it. It's like, well, you Mm. you blew up something that had an FAA license. Like, what what do you expect? Yeah. (laughs) Stye in the chat (laughs) says, the FAA most certainly cares about post-flight activities with airplanes. And, And it's interesting because Elon himself this week tweeted that FAA aviation is fine and great and wonderful, but but their space uh, division uh, leaves much to be desired. So, um, And then I thought I would read a couple of uh, messages that came up on our Discord this week that I thought were interesting. Uh, a lot of my colleagues say the engineers who uh, end up hiring into regulators like the FAA are the ones... Who couldn't get jobs in an industry elsewhere? It's not a sexy job, and I don't think it pays as much as industry jobs. I worked a lot with them in my previous position. It's frustrating and boring most of the time, but nobody said safety was fun. I agree i'm gonna I'm gonna leave these as anonymous just in case uh, anyone didn't realize that discord is fair game. Uh, and then uh, another user says mishap reports and license stuff tends to be kept private. Uh, I'll just say that we've had nothing but good in our relationship with the uh, FAA uh, as and have seen them to be open and receptive to comments, constructive criticism, requested process changes. So, you know, just a, a little bit of, of flavor to add to the whole uh, uh, violation issue. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I love nobody said safety was fun. And then, Dennis, you had a, a really good comment from one of the articles uh, that you looked at for SN9. So I just wanted to ask you to include that at the end of your uh, SN9 discussion, but I'll, I'll hand it off to you.
2: Yeah. And so that really uh, set the stage. And likely the reason this all came out, uh, including very publicly on Twitter, is that uh, SN9 Um, had a uh, 10-kilometer flight planned on January 28th, Um, but the uh, temporary flight restrictions were lifted uh, midday uh, of when the launch would have taken place, and uh, it had to do with the FAA evidently requesting additional info about the vehicle and the flight plan. And so uh, whether this was, uh, it sounds like this might have been a holdover, uh, uh, with regards to the greater scrutiny that uh, SpaceX had been receiving after uh, getting a you know a, a violation uh, with their SN8 launch previously. And so uh, again, this is uh, so, uh, midday the uh, essentially the FAA says, you know you cannot you know do your flight, your SN9 flight that you wanted. And Elon tweets a rather um, frustrated tweet, we'll say, uh, as we all um, generally are familiar with. Elon is not shy about saying things on social media. And uh, here is the uh, full text of the tweet um, and alluding to uh, him making a distinction between the aircraft and space divisions of the FAA, where the FAA space division is that AST uh, that you alluded to earlier for one of our Discord uh, commenters. And so uh, the full text of Elon's tweet is that, Unlike its aircraft division, which is fine, the FAA Space Division has a fundamentally broken regulatory structure. The rules are meant for a handful of expendable launches per year from a few government facilities. Under those rules, humanity will never get to Mars. And so that is, that was fighting words. I do think that there's something a little kind of funny about this, if I could just add my little commentary on the side here, that, you know, you're, imagine being the people that work in this office that were kind of responsible for this, and you're getting berated because you're not helping send humans to Mars. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, come on, man. You know, I just, I work, you know. I work my job, you know. I've got my office, I got my paperwork. We got our things we have to do, our, our you know, crosses or our T's that need to be crossed and our I's that need to be dotted. Don't, don't come at me about us, you know, ruining your Mars ambitions. You know, that just mm-hmm. it, what a time to be alive. I guess is another way to. to yeah. Do
0: that, right? <laughs> I mean, he does make a point, which I think he's made this. In fact, I checked the tweet to see if, if this was even recent, because I swear he had said this years mm-hmm. ago. Like, I mean, this is not the first time that he's brought this up.
2: And, and clearly, I mean, the whole reason why you know we love to watch SpaceX do their thing is that they're. So much more nimble and agile than you know traditional launch vehicles and companies have been you know what i mean like you can just watch the not only are they building the stuff out in the open but they're just you know there was a string where they were just uh basically blowing up serial numbers left and right right and so it was just you know they, they really do move fast and so i i can imagine there's certainly something to the fact that the faa they have a, a space regime that's not really as well suited uh to kind of what spacex is doing now and what you know new space is going to kind of keep doing moving into the future but they have you know made some changes though to kind of like you know streamline different processes and work with them and so um this i think was more of a you know a frustration tweet kind of taken taking a shot at the faa uh whether or not it was fully deserved uh you know what i mean uh you, you could just kind of hear that frustration in uh as you read uh, Elon's tweet. Um, and according to some of the reporting, you know, the, the SN9 kind of, you know, it was still on the stand and it was still, you know, getting kind of set up and everything. And so people were, you know, speculating, are they, <laughs> are they just going to fly this thing and just go rogue? And, you know, of course they weren't going to, weren't going to go do that. And so they, that that's, that's clearly a way to kind of bring your progress to a screeching halt. And so, um, so SN9, uh, then proceeded to just, uh, to perform a wet dress rehearsal, uh, uh that day. And so then, you know, um, at, at, at the point that FAA kind of thing came up, there was still a, a good chunk of time in the uh, launch window, but, you know, it hadn't been resolved. And then uh, the next day, on the 29th, in this case, the FAA uh, issued an air traffic advisory uh, earlier in the day, uh, basically announcing that the launch had been canceled. And so uh, while the uh, temporary flight restriction was still in place, SpaceX You know, that same day kind of said, all right, well, look, we're going to target no earlier than February 1st for our SN9 hop, or I shouldn't say hop flight. Yeah, 10 kilometers, definitely flight. And, um, you know, so they, uh, that's unfortunately falls in the kind of uh, the bad window where it's between our recording and our posting of this episode. And so uh, this might evolve between, you know, when I'm saying these words and when you're actually listening to this episode. And so um it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens here. Hopefully, um, we will have a nice flight on Monday and we'll get to see what happens. Things will be resolved uh, based on, you know, what some comments, and what I've read about the FAA is that uh, even though they were able to basically uh, blow up uh, Elon's plans for a Thursday flight, um, hopefully, you know, In the intervening days, they'll be able to go and get a Monday flight on board, uh, above level, everything, you know, a okay, And then we can actually see another one of these because if this is even half as dramatic as the SN8 flight, you know, it's still going to be an amazing thing to watch.
0: But going back to what Elon tweeted, he does bring up a good point. I kind of wonder what's going to happen about that, like if there's going to be any, you know, updating or changing Ah. these regulations so that they fit the modern space age. Because if not, then how are we going to be launching, you know, these big rockets on a hopefully daily basis or semi-daily basis. Like there should be, I don't know. It, it just seems like it is old, you know, the regulations that are in place, just like he said. I mean, he's not wrong. You know what I mean? I guess that's what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, but and, but I do want to my, – my understanding, which of course is highly limited about this, <laughs> is that, uh, it, you know, the FAA, you know, has – certainly made some changes uh, related to that specifically. And until we get the details, and that's kind of the weird thing. And, you know, thing that you know, some people are frustrated about is that this is a, there's a lot of private information that's being alluded to kind of in public. You know what I mean? So we don't know all the details mm-hmm. and yet we're seeing this very detailed back and forth, right? The FAA issued a, you know, a statement essentially saying, you know, you know, it was, you know, very kind of, You know what you'd expect from you know a government uh, entity like that. You know we are working with SpaceX to do the best. Uh, But ultimately, you know maybe this is more of a pot shot, and you know maybe he tried to cut a corner again. You know what I mean? Like he, you know, he violated the license on the previous one, which is kind of a no-no. And so if he, you know, thought he was doing something for, you know, well we want to get this vehicle off the ground and you know get moving so we can get to Mars, but you know decided to take a shortcut that was a little wasn't the right move i mean maybe that's the case maybe that's not the case and there's still some overly burdensome things that the faa was being a little too uh strict about so we i think i'm mm-hmm. um- I, no, I'm definitely very much interested in getting, you know, more details as the story unfolds.
0: Well, I mean, it's a good point. Like, as far as the violations that happened during these tests, that I can understand why the FAA has a problem with that. But I guess I was really talking about the daily activities, not these crazy tests that they're doing now. So um, I guess I'm speaking about something else. But um, yeah. I suppose SpaceX shouldn't be too surprised that they're being closely watched since they're trying to launch these giant, you mm-hmm. know, what is it, um, a 13-story building. I'm like, you can't really escape that. So there might be a lot of regulations and things as far as that's concerned, and that I'm kind of fine with, you know, because that's probably as it should be. But I just meant 10 years Mm -hmm. from now when they're flying Starships regularly, hopefully, you wouldn't be able to do that with the current guidelines, as I understand it. At least that's, you know, the point that Elon had been making.
2: Yeah, once we get to that zaniness, then... um Things will really have to change, but Ben, I see you getting some good information from Sam in the <laughs> chat. I think Sam's addressing SN9 specifically, like why we might have had just everything that just happened. So, so Sam um, in the chat has uh, pointed out some text from a uh, from SpaceX's license. Is that uh, here's, I'll just give you the the, the text. Uh, uh, SpaceX must identify and report any anomaly to the FAA occurring on a prior flight of the vehicle or during any pre-flight processing of the vehicle that could be material to public safety. SpaceX may not proceed with flight operations until receiving written correspondence from the FAA that the identified anomalies have been adequately addressed. So am I reading that as if there was, you know, if that explosion, right, that was certainly an anomaly on SN8, if SpaceX hasn't satisfied, basically, corresponding with the FAA to let them know that, you know, um, this anomaly, this exploding when it hits the ground um, because of uh, loss of pressure, right, in the uh, header tank, uh, hasn't been adequately addressed uh, to the FAA's satisfaction, then they may not proceed with flight operations. Uh, which would be a kind of thing to suddenly you know sn nine's gearing up and ready to go and then the FAA is just kind of like oh wait wait no you still got to deal with the whole exploding sn eight is that a possibility we're thinking here or you know there's other there's other ideas we don't know this is all speculation okay here's here's another idea from Ben in the chat um that, you know, it could have had to do with pre-launch paperwork. You know, there, there's a lot of things to prepare for. And so it might be some a kind of mundane mechanical issue during the static fire that, you know, resulted in the engine swap. And they basically, you know, it wouldn't have been an issue, but maybe as far as the reporting goes, um, you know, uh, this, this seems to happen. Um, and so it, it's, it's more of a, uh, a procedural issue. Uh, than anything about the actual, you know, uh, health of the vehicle or, you know, safety of the launch. Colin also thrown out another option. Maybe it was the SN9 leaning incident, right, where uh, something happened with the, uh, uh, what was holding it uh, up. And basically uh, when that kind of collapsed a bit, that sent SN9, which was in a bay at the time, kind of fell into the wall and essentially uh, one of the uh, fins at the top, one of the wings at the top uh, was damaged. But they were uh, swapped out and fixed, but, you know. It was sort of an issue. And so I kind of wanted to just throw all these out here, you know, David and Ben, just in case, you know, we find out afterwards one of them turned out to be correct. And so yeah. <laughs> we could get, uh, you know, people can get the credit they deserve for, you know, the correct speculation. What do you think? I don't know. I feel like I've been yapping a lot about this and I <laughs> I don't know any more uh, than you guys do.
1: Yeah, I think we're we're hitting the end of, of our <laughs> speculation uh, productive now? speculation.
0: Yeah. Alright, let's do the three short and sweet. What's the first one, Dennis?
2: First up, problems revealed for SXM seven satellite in orbit. SEC filings revealed that problems with Sirius XM's latest satellite were found while performing in-orbit testing. Certain failures of the SXM7 payload units has led to a full evaluation currently underway full extent of the damage to the satellite still unknown Maxar built the broadcasting company satellite which was launched on SpaceX Falcon 9 last December and is currently building another SXM8 with a launch scheduled this year SXM-7 was insured for $225 million, though the risk of loss was transferred to the satellite owner upon launch, as is common in the industry, and radio service won't be impacted given the company's other operational satellites and an in-orbit spare.
0: And then next up, two more Dragon astronaut crews announced. So AXM Space has announced that a commercial crew Dragon mission called AX-1 will fly to the ISS with four private astronauts early next year. This flight is the first in a series to support the company's plans to add commercial modules to the ISS that will eventually detached to form a standalone space station. Bay x one will be commanded by Michael Lopez-Alegria, a veteran shuttle and Soyuz astronaut who is the current NASA record holder for EVA hours and three private customers. The next NASA crew to fly to station, SpaceX Crew-2, includes Shane Kimbra and Megan MacArthur, as well as Akihiko Hoshide of JAXA and Tomapiske of ESA, and is targeting April of this year. It will relieve Crew-1, which has been on orbit since last November.
1: And finally, there's going to be a second green-run static fire. It took 13 days for NASA to announce that it will be taking a second shot at the hopefully full-duration green-run static fire in order to fulfill all 23 verification objectives that were set out. The test that ended early fulfilled all of the verification objectives related to pre-ignition activities, but only met several of the objectives related to engine operation. As before, NASA will accept around 250 seconds worth of data, but are aiming for 485 seconds. Software parameters have been adjusted to accept wider operational conditions, and it seems that the CAPU failure was electrical in nature, not hydraulic, and a wiring harness has already been replaced. This second test seems all but certain to push Artemis 1 into 2022, as it delays delivery to the CAPE by more than a month. This delay is not only caused by the time the vehicle sits on the pad between tests, but also by the additional refurbishment cycle after the second test. Okay, stand by. We're looking at it.
0: Questions, comments, and correction burns. And we have uh, a bona fide correction this week. I haven't had one in a while, so I'm kind of happy even though we messed yeah. up.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's we, we're going to mess up one way or the other. It's just happy when we mess up and.
0: <laughs> well, and is this really something that we messed up? I mean, I guess we have to. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it. we
1: had incorrect information, but we were getting it from a good source or or. Well, I guess by definition, it's not a good source, but it's a mistake that a lot of people made. And I don't say that in defense, it's just kind of an interesting chain of, of custody here. So this comes from, uh, Chris Hoffman, who sent me a DM on discord. Thank you, Chris and Ben Hallert, who sent us a message on Twitter. Thank you, Ben. So this is in reference to the SLS core stage, uh, tanking cycle limits. So, um, Last week, we incorrectly stated that the SLS core stage is capable of nine full tanking cycles for propellant. Short answer is it's actually 22 full tankings. The n- number nine, and I, I was talking to Chris Hoffman about this, we were trying to figure out where this nine came from. It turns out it's it's nine are allotted to the green run or budgeted uh, to, to the green run program. And, uh, just so that we're all on the same page, two of those have been used. We were correct about that. Uh, one for the wet dress rehearsal and then one for, uh, the stand test that was cut short. So I did a little digging and it looks like the mistake gets traced back to a media call that happened on the 19th. Um, Bridenstine wasn't very clear. He said that they had nine tankings that they could use. And it sounds like obviously he knows that there are 22 that the vehicle can handle, but it's, it sounds like he meant we can use nine in the green run, uh, or in the, in the green run series, but you know, uh, didn't make that distinction clear enough. Bunch of people heard that bunch of people ran with it. And I, I I'm pretty sure that's where the nine comes from is that one incident. Uh, even if it doesn't come from that one incident, I'm I'm pretty sure that it's people misunderstanding, uh the subsection that was allotted to green run i just wanted to point out that when this happened Bridenstein and oh what's her name the human
2: kathy Loiter's.
1: yeah there you go uh they they both sounded very optimistic about being able to f- do apollo one or uh, apollo one artemis one uh by the end of the year. And therefore, they were very optimistic about doing Artemis 3 by 2024. I'm really interested to see how, uh, the new, the new administration feels about this. Um, Mm -hmm. because Artemis was very much, um, not a Trump administration, a Pence, uh, Mm sub-administration, I guess, but it was very much a, a Pence objective. And, you know, I, I would love for this to continue to be a priority of the United States. Um, i I think there are are a lot of flaws that we and others have talked about in the Artemis program as a whole, and there are a lot of improvements that can be made but i I really want to see space exploration uh, be a priority of the Biden administration. And, and I hope that that's what we get to see, but you know, we're going to, we're going to have to wait and find out.
0: Certainly 22 total tankings going back to that real quick. That makes more sense now that I'm thinking about it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because if you have nine in total, that's not much to work with. (laughs) That's not much. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to this week's spaceflight history. Um, and we had some winners, uh, Kyle Foster, the Greek and Deskin Miller, and then we had a, not a winner, but somebody who had a, who had an answer that perfectly fit the clue. So that's, I guess, my fault. Um, and that was Nick Collins.
1: You're, you're really going to call, you're really going to call that somebody for a wrong guess.
0: It was a wrong guess, but it, it's not his fault. So. It could have been a correct guess, is what I'm saying. You know, what I mean, like that's kind of down to me just picking a too vague or not specific enough of a clue.
1: Yeah, I would, I wouldn't know what that's like. My clues are always very
0: specific. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think, it's, yeah, we I mean, like we've all done this a couple of times, but um, uh, so even the winners, um, they didn't quite get what I was going for. They have the right event, um, and that would be the Soyuz twenty four mission to Soyuz five, but really. The reason why it's called a farewell salute, and that's the clue, a farewell salute, is because there's kind of a military component. So this was actually the last all-military Soyuz mission to the last military salute, which was one of the ALMEZ space stations. And it was the last of three, which was uh, two, three, and five, and this one is five. So really, it was more of a military thing, and I figured salute kind of you know, evoked kind of a military theme, but you know, no one got that, so that's my fault. So yeah, the Soyuz 24 mission to Salyut 5. This was, um, like I said, this was the last of the Almaz stations, and we've talked about these a lot in past episodes. I don't remember which ones. Obviously, this was like going back years now. Um, but these were, you know, these military outposts in orbit, I guess you can call them, where they did all kinds of things, a lot of which we don't know. Um, and one of them, number three. So not this one, but Salyut 3 had that cool machine gun mounted on it, which is the only, the only machine gun in space or large gun. I don't, I don't think it's the only gun, but not the only gun. Gun, but the, the only, yeah. yeah, cannon. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can call it the only space gun. It's like something that shoots in space.
1: Yeah, I mean they they had uh, uh, guns for that could fire in vacuum for EVA um, orientation, like like propulsion.
0: But that's not like a gun for self defense. But it was basically just having a little reaction mass, like in the form of a bullet, kind yeah.
1: of. Well, I'm trying to remember because we are all familiar with the. Um, the little cold gas thruster gun uh that was used on Gemini. I know that it was proposed using yeah, uh, lead reaction mass as it were. And I, I now that I'm thinking about it, I I can't rel- reliably bring up enough detail that I'm comfortable saying that I remember this happening. And I'm trying I'm mm-hmm. trying to get better about being able to evaluate my own memory reliability. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's at least been proposed. Let's <laughs> let's say that.
0: Wouldn't be surprised. Um, a little bit of a story as to what led up to this particular mission. So the two crew on board this mission were Victor Gorbatko and Yuri Glasgow. And they were the backup crew for Soyuz 23, which failed to dock with Salyut 5 several months earlier. So actually, there was a previous mission that had you know tried to dock in. They were not successful. They were having problems. So they just had to back out and return. But their backup crew were moved forward to this mission, and uh, they were, in fact, the ones that were able to successfully dock. It is normally the case that once you dock, you know, you you enter, but they did not do that. They actually had to wait a good 10 or 11 hours before they could go into the station, and this is another kind of shrouded in mystery thing that I can't get any good info on. Well, actually, it's just simply stated that the Soviet Union just didn't want to disclose exactly what happened, but basically, um, they weren't able to make ingress because um, there were allegedly toxic nitric acid fumes inside the station. And that's what actually cut the last mission to Soyuz 5, which was the Soyuz 21. That's what cut that short. One of the cosmonauts claims that uh, he was getting sick and it was due to toxic fumes and... Uh, so they had to leave, I believe, like several months early. There was a lot of speculations to exactly what happened. Some people are saying that they didn't follow their exercise routine. And so they had, you know, or so he had some pretty big health issues as a result of that. And then there's another source that NASA points to from some like Russian ministry that basically says that there were interpersonal issues, but doesn't say what those were. So, um, as far as toxic fumes, it seems as though that never happened, and we'll see why in just a second. And uh, these toxic fumes would have come from the fuel tanks on board the station. They were nitric acid, and so basically, you know, that had to do with the propellant tanks. Once they had entered, they took samples, and they didn't find any signs of this. So I don't know if you know, like Zolobov was just having a, what do they call it, a psychosomatic response or something, but um or yeah. he was just lying, who knows? My guess is it might have been more like lying and that he was feeling very ill for other reasons. And another reason might be that they weren't sleeping well. They had like a messed up sleep schedule. So basically just not sleeping well, not exercising, and uh and then one of them claims that there were toxic fumes and that they have to come back. But yeah, they found no signs of that. Um so Victor and Yuri, uh, they continued the experiments left by the Soyuz 21 expedition, which were some general science stuff as far as, you know, like materials and biological experiments, but there were also some other unspecified stuff that they might have been doing, but, you know, we don't know exactly what that was because, you know, this was an Almaz station, so they were probably taking, I don't know, like like orbital photos or who knows, doing, what you know, top secret, like, military stuff, so um, that's as much as we can say. Now, two weeks later, so this is two weeks after they've docked, they actually do purchase. All the air from the Soyuz. So this was something that I'm guessing that they were planning on doing. Had they found the toxic fumes, which they didn't find, but they wanted to go ahead and try it anyway. I guess just to you know see how it works, or just because you know they could. So they have to displace 100 kilograms of air from the Soyuz and replenish it with uh, the onboard air from the Soyuz. And so they have. Um, some kind of an apparatus and that's you know the the only description that I could find that they attach to the outer airlock door and that allows them to vent the air from the station and then they add new air from the Soyuz on the other side of the station and the habitable volume is 100 cubic meters Um which so this kind of surprises me that does that mean that there's one kilogram per cubic meter of air is that is is that how much a cubic meter of air weighs? Um, and I don't know what the partial pressure of oxygen was and what the overall pressure was, but I imagine it would have to be like something like sea level, or maybe they were just you know venting a lot of the useful air overboard because you can't you know completely like you can't keep it from mixing. So they probably vented a lot of that. Yeah, you know, 100 kilograms overboard as well. Yeah, um, that Because be, 100 kilograms seems like a lot.
1: That would be reasonable, wouldn't it?
0: I mean, that's probably what happened because I, I don't know what 100 kilograms of air, like what kind of volume that would occupy. But it's got to be more than 100 cubic meters.
2: Well, I mean, at, at sea level, you know, standard temperature and pressure, air has a density of a little more than a kilogram per cubic meter at 1.25. Really?
1: It's probably reasonable to assume that they weren't flying. I don't know. What what did uh, Salyut— uh, pressurize at 15 psi. So yeah, that that would be a one to one. We're gonna assume that it comes in at one end and goes straight out the other.
0: Wow, that might be the most interesting fact. One cubic meter <laughs> of air weighs a whole kilogram. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell crazy. since we move around in this stuff, but
1: yeah. Well, you know, I guess that makes sense because if you think about the pressure at sea level you know, 15, you know, it's roughly, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure and that's all from the column of air that's directly above your head. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, But I mean, that,
0: yeah. So if it's like 15 PSI, sorry to use Imperial units, but that's the column of air going up, I don't know, 60 miles or something. So that's quite, you know, that's like a long way. So that makes sense. But having a whole kilogram in one cubic meter, that does surprise me. But I mean, obviously it, it all works out. So, okay. But it just means the air weighs more than I thought. So, because they had this device which was venting the air, they were not able to do a planned EVA. So, this device, whatever it was, um, and I cannot find any photos, no video, no nothing, but apparently it, you know, was, you know, preventing them from actually using the airlock to leave the station to do their EVA. But I guess it wasn't too terribly important because, you know, they opted to do the big purge instead of, uh, the EVA. So, that's as much as I could find on their activities. Uh, so at this point, um, on February 23rd, right, which is 21 days later. And this is a fairly short mission. I mean, they are generally supposed to be longer. So it's thought that this was never meant to be a long mission, um, that this was pretty much there to go and clean up the mess that was left by the Soyuz 21 mission and then leave the station and essentially abandon it because it didn't have much fuel left. So this, you know, the Saudi-5 was, it was pretty much approaching the end of its lifetime because it didn't have enough reaction mass to keep it in a stable orbit. So they kind of had to leave it anyway. So they, you know, went up, did this experiment with the air purge, and then, you know, kind of turned everything off and left. They reactivated their Soyuz on the 23rd, and then they shut down the Salyut on that day. And then on the 25th, they returned to Earth, and they landed in a snowstorm. And I feel like this is the, what, the third time that we've talked about a Soyuz <laughs> capsule landing in very unideal circumstances, if that's a word, unideal. Um, and this one landed near Ar-Kalak, or Arkalak, which is in northern Kazakhstan. Yeah, a bad snowstorm, lots of wind, and the search and rescue beacon was jammed shut on the capsule. So it had to be freed by hand. So someone had to get out and actually free that thing up. And then eventually the search and rescue teams were able to find them. So, yeah, not the best landing. A Soyuz 25 mission was planned, but it never launched because again, the propellant on board the station was too low. And so they triggered that return of the KSI film capsule, which we've again talked about. And fun little fact: that capsule, which made us successfully back to Earth, was actually sold for forty eight thousand eight hundred and seventy five dollars at Sotheby's. So somebody really wanted that. As you know, a little bit of space history. Mm-hmm. And then on the eighth of August, uh, the site five was deorbited. So yeah, nothing happened much after this mission. So this was the last mission to the last of uh, the Salute slash Almaz stations. Yes. Yeah, so, that's it. So, yeah, kind of mysterious as to exactly what they did and exactly what happened prior to that. There's not much information on that, but, you know, this is sort of a series of mishaps, which kind of happened a lot with uh, these ALMAS programs. So, the first one, they weren't able to get it into orbit, you know, and that one, I think, mm-hmm. quickly deorbited. and That was the ALMAS-2 or um, the Salyut-2. Three did a better job. That one, you know, they put a machine gun on it.
2: Oh, and, okay, I mean, just one more con, that this one, Mm -hmm. uh, turned out that there actually was a gun or a cannon on this one as well. Okay. Three and five. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then I've got an update on, on the airlock. There was actually a special, uh, hatch on the side of the forward transfer compartment. So you could close the forward transfer compartment and separate, um, the main compartment from the Soyuz, evacuate that apart, uh, compartment and go out through the side. Uh, spacewalk port, the hatch, uh, do your thing, then come back in, which is kind of terrifying. If you're, if you've got somebody on EVA, you cannot get to the, to the, uh, to the Soyuz. <laughs> hmm. But in any event, that airlock is in the forward section. So that wouldn't be good for atmosphere exchange anyway. May- maybe the adapter was basically a hose, uh, <laughs> to connect that uh, whatever the venting mechanism is to the front of the station. I don't know. That seems pretty silly.
0: Cool. All right. So let's move on then to next week. Next week's date range is the 9th through the 15th of February. Ben, you're going to do this one, right?
1: Yeah. All right. The clue for next week in 2001 is, do you smell that? No?
2: <laughs> I have no idea, but I like it.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, that's next week in 2001. If you think you know what that clue is in reference to, give us a tweet with the hashtag this week SF and good luck.
1: Good luck, everybody.
0: Let's move on to upcoming spaceflight events. Just one launch and then one other thing. What's that one launch?
1: It's uh, Falcon 9 Block 5 launching Starlink 18. So, you know, another bunch of uh, 60 Starlinks. Um, this is going to be launching on February the 4th at 0619 utc
2: and then we have a uh the first of our uh, fleet to mars arriving so this is on february 9th and this is the uh uae emirates mars mission also known as hope or al amal in arabic and so this is a uh orbiter that'll be reaching the red planet again on february 9th and what's uh i'd say most notable other than it being you know the uae's first uh mission uh, interplanetary mission, um, is that it's going to be on a very, very uh, wide orbit. And so we're talking about tens of thousands of kilometers uh, distant. And so uh, should be some really good stuff. So keep an eye out for their hopefully successful insertion. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> All right. So those are your upcoming spaceflight events. So let's deal with the show then. And we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music.
2: We record live on Sundays at 9am Pacific, 12pm Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly.
1: If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Or you can also visit theorbitalmechanics.com support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other
0: resources. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. be sure to check out our store for mission patches t-shirts and hoodies you
2: can join our discord for free during social distancing check our twitter or reddit for links or orbital podcast on both and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at orbitalmechanics.com
0: all right so that is it we will see you all next week on robot until then later goodbye everybody
2: see you